0: have a discerning nose. You've noted that things smell a little weird in here this morning. Uh, Phil discovered in the kitchen today a a little chest freezer that had come unplugged and was full of food from the summer. So there you have it. Thankfully he 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 got the food out and Got some help getting the, the box itself outside in the cold, and and we went to work with Febreze. But I don't know how good that is working for you, but we did our best. I did tell Jason, we're starting the, the book of Mark today, chapter one of the book, book of Mark. I thought maybe I should just change to the story of Lazarus, because <laughs> I can make a direct connection there. Thank you. Thank you very much. but here we are. The gospel according to Mark. I mentioned some of this last week, but uh, in case you weren't here or uh, in case your attention span was short, I'll I'll reiterate. Uh, Mark is an interesting gospel among the gospels, uh, I think often overlooked in the big scheme of things. the Gospel of John is certainly kind of the star of the four Gospels, I think, for many, many people, and and I love it. It has unbelievable stories in it that could only be told from the standpoint of, of Jesus' best friend. And then uh, Luke gets a lot of love because we have the, the story of the birth there that uh, we use, Charlie Brown Christmas here every Christmas Eve, comes right out of the book of Luke, and then... Luke really ties into a lot of these, you know, the the miracles and the workings that that Jesus did and kind of from that that physician's point of view because he was a doctor. And then we have the Gospel of Mark, which we believe was penned, like physically written, by uh, a man named John Mark, who was not one of the disciples. Uh, He was not one of the twelve, not necessarily even considered an apostle, Um, And so you go, well, then why is it in here? Because Matthew, Luke, and John, they were contemporaries. I mean, they were right there with Jesus. We see them in the stories. And the reason is because uh, this gospel was written, we think, probably around 60 A.D. So it's very close to the actual time of Jesus, as the other contemporary accounts would be. I mean, obviously, Matthew was there. Luke was there. John was there. But this guy put down... Uh, what we learn from other manuscripts of the time, and some that are very close, there within 30 years of the time that this was written, we learn some from some other writings that aren't biblical writings, but historical writings, that these people recognize this as one of the gospels because, in their understanding and what they had learned from from being with the people at the time, was that this was John Mark, a close friend of Peter, the disciple who made his very best effort to make an account of all of the stories that Peter was telling him of his time with Jesus. And so it has this unique place among the Gospels and among the books of the Bible to speak with this this voice of telling the story, of narrating the story of one of the disciples who again was so close to Jesus and some of the things that back up that scholarly idea and it and it's almost universally accepted by biblical scholars that that this is what happened that John Mark friend of Peter hung out with him heard the stories of Jesus became a follower himself and was so moved by that that he wanted to record the stories and the things that that Peter had shared with him about what Jesus taught and tried to record those, and then so one of the things that we find in the book of Mark that's different from the other stories is when, when Peter is in the stories, we get this incredible detail about his interactions and the things that, that he saw, the things that he said, uh, because it's coming from Peter's point of view. It'd be just like uh, you and I, if we're telling stories about our life We're going to remember primarily and in maybe more detail the things that we're actually a part of, things that we were there for, things that we saw, truths that we realized as we heard these stories, as we were hanging out with Jesus, as we're seeing the ministry that he did, that we would be the same way. And so that's how we arrive at the gospel according to Mark. Um, It's interesting that it's called the gospel according to Mark because it's attributed to the writer even though it is the story of Peter. So that's how we get here to the gospel according to Mark. And uh, it also has uh, an interesting uh, distinction to it of starting not with the birth of Jesus, but with the beginning of his ministry here on earth. So sometime around the age of 30 is where uh, the, in, in the life of Jesus is where the gospel according to Mark takes off here, and he says this right at the beginning, so if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and I've got like three three points, I don't have a poem, sorry, I failed you in that regard, Um, somebody wants to make up a poem about John the Baptist, before we're done, knock yourself out, Um, but I do have three points that I want to give you this morning, and uh, hopefully they'll be encouraging to you, and it kind of dovetails with some of the things that we've talked about in the past few weeks, Uh, But we're going to continue over the next, I'm not sure how long, at least up through uh, and past Easter uh, Sunday, we're going to continue to just work through the book of Mark because there's just so much great stuff in here and some great stories uh, and things that we can pull out. So Mark chapter one, verse one, the writer says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. It's a short sentence. It's very straightforward, but there's some big ideas in here that he wants to establish right off the bat. Um, there's a there's an echo, even though he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. There's still an echo of some of those things that we hear in the other gospels, like John chapter uh, one: "In the beginning was the Word." In the beginning was the Word. And we see the stories in in Luke and in Matthew where uh, they tell. The, the birth stories of Jesus and talk about the beginning. And so there still is this idea of, in all four of the gospel, there is this, this foundational idea right at the start that, I, I, that they, the writer wanted to talk to us about something that was being birthed. Something that was like nothing that had ever been seen before, no story that had ever been told before. It was going to be unique among humanity, and it was going to to tell us something about God and his desire to interact with us that we needed to pay attention to. And so he says the same thing here. He doesn't just say the ministry of Jesus Christ, but the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the other big word in there is the gospel, The gospel, Uh, gospel means what? Anybody want to throw it out? Good news. Uh, Here's one of the things that has frustrated me all my life about a lot of the ways that uh, church tends to project things, or or visible Christianity pretends to to project things. Is it 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 often doesn't sound like very good news? Um, There's a lot of uh, depending on what background maybe you come from, you might identify with this. There's a lot of shame involved Uh, there's a lot of legalism sometimes involved you know you got to dress a certain way you got to be a certain way you got to think a certain way talk a certain way you got to vote a certain way all that kind of stuff and it'd be great to say that we've we've grown collectively as Christians that we've grown away from that but I don't think that's very true Um, there's still uh, a lot of separatist thinking out there where uh, you know if I have a friend who's a, a Methodist there are some people would be like, "Oh, you shouldn't be hanging out with the Methodists. Oh, you shouldn't be hanging out with the Lutherans. You know, they have they have this belief over here, and that's different than your belief, and you shouldn't hang out with them." And and eventually, if we keep kind of siloing or isolating ourselves into those kinds of of divisions and legalistic thinking, the news that we're trying to spread eventually doesn't become very good news, because it really doesn't address uh, the problem that we have, which The writer here is going to point out very specifically why this is good news, what God intends to do about it, and how he intends to do something about it, and why he intends to do something about it. But the gospel, the story of Jesus, the ministry that he shared here on earth, the work that he's done in your life and in the life of the church, these are supposed to be good news. And so one of the things that we can do as believers as we're trying to, to sort our way through and, and work in the world and share what we believe and, and, and kind of hold up Jesus because remember Jesus said if, the, he, if he would be lifted up he would take care of the business of drawing people to himself our job as believers is to, is to lift him up in, in our speech and in our interactions with one another in the way that we live and if we'll do that Kind of the self-check that we can give ourselves is, is as we're doing that, if the reaction that we're getting from the people that we're holding up Jesus before is consistently and always negative, I would suggest that what we're holding up is not good news. You say, well, what if people just want to reject the good news? Well, sometimes they do. But remember, Jesus said, if you'll lift me up before people, I will draw people to me. So the distinction there is, if the message that you and I are trying to deliver personally and corporately as a church is always driving people away from the presence of Christ, I would begin to question whether we're actually holding up good news. So this is the account from Peter of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then there's this emphatic statement, he is the son of God. The son of God. There's just no mistake about who he's saying that Jesus is. Right, so, and then he says, verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and he refers back to actually two places. He says Isaiah, but the first part's actually from Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. So that first part, Jason, can we see Malachi 3.1? Did you get that? Awesome. So here's the, here's the, the prophecy that Peter is referring to. And this is important, these couple of places, and then it happens several other times throughout Scripture and in the Gospels, uh, particularly as they're referring to Jesus, because one of the things that we come to understand, because we get to look with hindsight 2020, is we get to understand all of the prophecies that were made regarding who the Messiah would be and how he would arrive and what he would look like and what he would do, the things that he would teach. We begin to see how Jesus fulfills those prophecies to the point that only he can be the Messiah. And Peter is one of those who's beginning to, to teach this. Now, Peter wasn't a, a rabbi. He wasn't a biblical teacher, but he was a Jewish man. And we know from some of the other times that we've talked about the, the way things worked in, in Jesus' time, if he was a young Jewish man, then at least up until about the age of 12, he got serious religious teaching. He was in the temple being instructed by the rabbis, and then some would be would be set aside to become teachers and to go on to become rabbis and others would go about their life and in their career it's kind of like the world still works today in some regard right so don't ever think that just because peter was a fisherman that he was un- un- uneducated that's something that's pitched a lot of times these guys you know these blue-collar guys and their hands are dirty and their fingers are cracked and their clothes are scruffy and you know they, they, they wear suspenders to keep their pants up that they're just, they, they were just these uneducated fishermen dudes don't buy that They might not have been as educated as a guy like Paul who was a scribe among the scribes. He was was so brilliant and a leader among uh, theological thinkers of his time. But that doesn't mean these guys were stupid, that they were some kind of rube. They had training. And a lot of the training that they received was in the prophecies of who the Messiah would be because this is what the people of God were consumed with. They were waiting for a Messiah to come and rescue his people. And some of them recognized him, Peter being one of the first. And so we see this in Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi is what we call one of the minor prophets. If you go back there, it's hard to find him. He's right at the end of the Old Testament, and it's very thin, very short. But here he's prophesying about the Messiah. Here he's prophesying about what's going to happen. And one that he's prophesying about is a man called John the Baptist. That there's going to be one who's going to come and prepare the way for the one who is the Messiah. So you see those prophecies about Jesus don't include only him and his qualities and the things that he, that he proved out of the prophecy of the scripture. But God, in his wisdom, even, even provided prophecy about those who would come before him. That there would be a signpost, a signal along the way, before Jesus even arrives, that if you were paying attention, if you understood the, the prophecies, if you read the scriptures, you would be aware and you would go, hey... I think this is the one that God said is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah, which means I should be on the lookout for the Messiah. And so we see that back in Malachi, where God begins to lay the foundation. And then in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says this. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And you see Peter, through the pen of Mark, reiterating that. So it's written in the prophet Isaiah, it's written by Malachi, that behold, I will send a messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And so the overarching theme of this passage that I want you to carry home with you today is that part of the character of God, part of the nature of God that he reveals to us in this that he reveals to us in giving prophecy to the prophets so many hundreds and thousands of years before this happened is that God is in the business of preparing a way. God is in the business of making a way for his plans, for his will, and for his people. And if that's part of the character and nature of God, we can understand that in our own lives, that God indeed also intends to prepare a way for us, a way for us to to come to know him, to receive him, a way for us to live in the life that he has planned for us, a way for us to understand what his plans for us are in our lives, Uh, a way for us to accomplish and be fulfilled by the purpose or purposes that he has invested in our lives. See, God wouldn't be a very loving God if it was if, if it was just that he he set the world into motion and he allowed you and I to be born, and then he basically said well you 're on your own kid. I hope it works out okay, but instead he shows this incredible love to us. remember we 've talked about this so many times sometimes I feel like I hope you don 't get bored that I repeat this, but it, it's it's such a foundational truth. Think about the idea that, that the scripture tells us that Even before you were born, God planned good works for you. And that even while he knew that you and I would be rebellious and be sinful and be turned away from him, he still provided Jesus as a sacrifice for sin so that we could be rescued. That is God preparing a way. That is God making a way for you and for me and for all those who will seek him to be rescued, to live a life of purpose on this earth and be, be confident and held in the promise of the, the eternity, the, the eternity that he has promised for us. And we see it pictured right here in the beginning of the book of Mark. So God has prepared a way for you. And here's the three points. The first one is Why? Why? Now, we have this guy, John the Baptist. He's a, he's a pretty big character right here in the beginning of this story. He hangs around for a few chapters, and then some bad things happen, and he's gone. He's gone from the picture. We look over in some of the other Gospels. We see the story of Jesus' birth. We see uh, Elizabeth with child, and we learn that she is with child with John the Baptist, and that he's, gonna, he's Jesus' cousin. And then we see these stories about how when uh, Elizabeth and Mary got together, they came near to each other like the babies in the womb. They flipped. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was in there and and was kind of telling them, hey, look, your cousin's here. You're the one who's going to prepare the way. And, dude, you're the Messiah. Can you believe this? You're like right next to each other. You're still in your little baby baskets there inside your mom's womb, but you're like right next to each other, and they're jumping around having a great time. That's what it says. Uh, Don't tell me. And so there's this affinity. I imagine like a lot of you they grew up together. They're cousins hanging out, doing cousin things, getting in trouble, learning, having fun. And then the the time comes where John sees what God has called him to, which is can you imagine I can't. I can't can't imagine. After generations and generations of people crying out for, weeping for, sacrificing for the presence of God to be present with them in in the person of the Messiah, along comes a guy and God taps him on the shoulder and says, again, John... Good Jewish boy, you've learned these things, but but you're you're the guy, you know that Malachi thing about somebody who was going to prepare the way, and that that Isaiah thing about somebody's going to going to go and and just kind of clear the path for Jesus to make his entrance. That John, that's you, man. What has God called you to, I wonder? Is it less important? I could make a case that what I do is less important. And yet, are you and I called to things in our lives by the Lord, the same Lord that called John the Baptist? this incredible task does that not make it in some ways the same calling I mean if God's asked you to be and do whatever it is wow and so at some point John knew that this was where he was supposed to be and then we see the beginning of, of his ministry, and he talks about it right here. But here's the why. So that's the first point. Why is God sending a messenger? Why does God want someone to prepare the way? Why has God t- tapped John on the shoulder and said, you're the one who's going to fulfill these prophecies? It's right there in verse 4. So it says that John appeared. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like, it's not Harry Potter where he disappeared, you know, poof, and he was it means he came on the scene. Like, people began to notice him because John began to do what God had called him to do, and it made made an impression, let's just say. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) So the why is because... We needed to be made aware that we are in need of the forgiveness of sin. That's why John had, begin, had to begin to prepare the way. That's why God asked him to do that, was so that he could begin to reveal to people that there was a need for their sins to be forgiven. If we go back to Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. we see again that God is thinking forward about the need that you and I would have. So, like, well, how does God know that I'm going to need forgiveness of sin? Because here it tells us that before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. So before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, he's speaking specifically, again, to someone. And and I don't want to do uh, what's called... Isogesis, where we we add things on we layer things on to scripture that don't don't mean anything it's kind of like the uh you know i know the plans i have for you for you to prosper and all that kind of stuff where we take that as a personal thing but god was speaking in a specific time but we do understand something about god's character here We do understand something about the way that God works. And just as in this context where it's being spoken to a specific person, that God knew them in the womb before they were even formed, we understand that God knows every one of us. Every one of us before we're formed. And just as he's planned, as scripture tells us, good works for us, even from the foundation of the earth before any of us were born, he also knows that we will be in need of salvation. And so he assigns John to begin to prepare the way. That's the first one. The why is because there needed to be acknowledgement and understanding of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on in verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Confessing their sins. Now this is... This is interesting. I'm not, going to spend, I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but I want to put it into your head. We uh, in the church tend to think in terms of uh, the story of Jesus. We tell the story of Jesus that, you know, you want to, we want you to be saved, uh, be born again. Jesus talks about that in one of the Gospels, uh, that you become this new creature, that you, you understand the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for our sins, You understand the power that he has because of his resurrection and you you want to believe all of those things and and there's places in the Bible where it says, what what must I do to be saved? Uh, Believe that Jesus is the son of God, uh, that he's born of a virgin, that he rose from the dead and you can be saved. And yet here we have, before Jesus has even been revealed, God has made a way for people to repent of their sins, to be baptized in water. The water didn't save them. The repentance of their sin is what saved them. The the baptism was just like we talked today. It's an outward expression of what's happened on the inside. It's telling everyone else that that this amazing thing has happened. And God has these people were saved. Through the ministry of John before Jesus even begins his ministry. This is why we look at some of the stories. We go back to the Old Testament, and and we wonder were people really were people saved by works in the Old Testament, and then grace suddenly happened in the New Testament? It's really not how it works. You can you can make that claim, and you can make a pretty good claim if if you can wrangle the words. But we see over in the Book of Hebrews where it talks about. Uh, By faith, Noah's works were counted unto him as righteousness. And there was still this faith component, the Holy Spirit at work, even even then. See, God has always had a way for those who wanted to seek him to be rescued. But his ultimate plan, his ultimate path was at the right time. In fact, again, that's what... (laughs) The scripture says that at the right time, Jesus Christ died for us. That just means it was the time that God ordained, the time that God planned is when this ministry for Jesus began. But I think that's kind of an amazing thing, that the power of God, the power of Jesus is beginning to work even before he's actually revealed himself to the people around him. And it's through the ministry of John who's preparing the way. And there's a reason that he was doing that. Uh, It says that uh, there was to be a people prepared for God. I think that's Luke chapter 1, verse 17, maybe. I may have missed a note here. Nope, this is it. Yay, thank you. All right. And this is talking about John the Baptist. He will go before him, meaning before Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, he'll be People will think, actually, that he's Elijah the prophet reincarnated, but he's not. It's John the Baptist. But he'll have this same spirit upon him. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And I think this is something that we, we and I'm guilty of it, we really forget. We start to think about the, the life of Jesus and his ministry on earth, and we think of Jesus and the 12 disciples, and like everybody else is against them like nobody else believes. But what in reality has happened is God has made a way through John the Baptist telling people that Jesus is coming, and this is what he's going to look like. The Messiah is on the horizon, and you're going to see him, and he's going to bring this incredible salvation with him that's like nothing you've ever seen before. And if you'll be prepared now, there actually will be a host of people, a host of believers who, God bless them, have believed in Jesus before they've ever even seen him. And they will be a people prepared and ready for the Lord. So even as Jesus was working with his disciples, uh, and then uh, with the the, the apostles who came later, the larger number that came later, there were already people out there who believed in Jesus. They just didn't know exactly what he was going to look like and exactly what he was going to say, but they understood that he was going to be the Messiah. And they believed. Isn't that incredible that God would prepare that way for Jesus because then imagine what happens Jesus arrives he begins to have his public ministry and those who believed already they start going to their friends hey 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 this is the guy I was talking about remember I've been talking about it for like three years you told me you keep telling me to shut up you're tired of hearing about who this messiah guy is gonna be I'm telling you that's him that's the guy I've been talking about we need to go see him you got to hear this this is incredible you wonder how those crowds of five and ten and fifteen thousand people showed up to see Jesus. It says that people spread his fame by word of mouth. Well, who do you think those people were? They were the first followers of Jesus, and they sort of they sort of bookend who we are today because uh, Jesus says these words to Thomas when. When he's risen, and Jesus has appeared to the disciples, but Thomas isn't there, and Thomas is like, Pfft, I don't even, I'm, if I don't see it with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it. And the Bible says Jesus, in this case, does actually appear, and he allows Thomas to touch his wounds and to see him, and Thomas says, oh, I, man, I believe, and Jesus says, blessed are you who've seen with your eyes and believe, but more blessed will be those who do not see with their eyes and believe. That's you and me. We don't get to see him in person, but we still believe. And we have brothers and sisters who bookended the ministry of Jesus before he ever came, who believed, having never seen. Why did they believe? Because they understood their need for the repentance and forgiveness of sin. So why has God prepared a way for you? Why is God after you? Why does God want to engage with you? Because he wants you to know. That you and I have an inherent need to repent for the forgiveness of our sins. The second one is how. So all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, that's verse 5, confessing their sins. That's how. So why? Because we need to repent for the forgiveness of our sins. How do we repent? We confess our sins before God and ask him to forgive us. That's the how. Verse six, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. (laughs) This This is interesting to me because until not that long ago, especially growing up as a kid. Uh, Tell me if you identify with this. I always pictured John as like a wild-looking dude with this giant hairy coat and like not well-washed, hanging out in the desert, crawling around, catching grasshoppers and playing with bees. (laughs) Right, yeah? (laughs) Crazy John! But uh, I don't know. Don, you've, you've been where camels are. Have you seen camel hair clothes? Are they gross? They actually make wool from camel hair. It's expensive. They're nice clothes. I, I don't think this is, this is, this is not like the mountain man thing where um, John basically, John the Baptist basically scalped a camel and threw his skin on top of him. I don't, that, that's not what we're talking about here. John was actually, uh, I don't know that he was well, you know, nicely dressed. But there was a skill. Somebody had made clothing for him out of camel's hair. I don't know if that was unique or new. It had maybe some things to do with the Nazarite vow that he had taken, that um, he would abstain from uh, strong drink and things like this. He He would have had long hair because he was part of the vow of not cutting his hair. So he might look a little wild, but... I don't think that means he was crazy, you know, googly-eyed, weirdo dude in the desert because then the other thing that we see here, how how many of you had that picture, right? You've had that picture. That's your picture. Just me. Okay, good. Forget you guys. Are you all awake? might be. All right. All right. Thank you, brother. I love it. Appreciate it. Um, Wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Um, I will tell you this i I love honey, right? You down for honey? I have had chocolate covered grasshoppers, and they're delicious. <laughs> so I'm all right. I mean honey covered locusts. I'm all right with that. All right, so there's John the Baptist. but I also don't think he was wild eyed crazy, goofy guy either because we found out in the verse just before that these are big words. listen. All the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized. He wasn't some scary, weird figure, man. God had, had filled him with the power of the Holy Ghost to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the message he was preaching and the person that he was, the image that he presented, and the way that he communicated was compelling to a lot of people. So why repentance and forgiveness of sins? How? Confessing their sins. And then in verse 7, John the Baptist, he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he makes this direct proclamation of one who is coming. And this was important to him because there had begun to develop, and we see this again later in, in Acts and in some of the, the stories that we see in the Gospels where we begin to have uh, the disciples of Peter and the, the, those who are, have allegiance to Paul and, and Barnabas and these divisions that begin to come up. This was beginning to happen to John too. Is John was careful that he didn't want to become the center of attention because remember he's. This is not about John the Baptist. John is trying to be the the lighthouse, the the signal for the Messiah who's coming, and so he's careful to remind here as he's preaching. It he says, "This is how he preached." Great, everybody come out here, see me in my camel hair suit, and and and. And have some locust and honey with me I'm going to baptize you because you need to be you need to have this understanding that you need forgiveness for sins and and you're coming and you're confessing your sins before God and so I'm going to baptize you but don't forget this isn't about me there's one who is mightier than I he's more than I and, and look, I'm here with you next to the water, and, and we're getting wet. I'm, I'm baptizing you down into the water, and you're getting dunked and immersed and coming back up. And it's this great visual symbol of the work that God has done in your heart. But there's one who's coming who's going to demand more of you. And he won't be messing with water. He's going to bring the presence of the Holy Ghost in a way that's never been seen before in the hearts of man. And you're going to be immersed in the presence of God. So the why is that repentance for forgiveness of sin. The, the how is through confession. Our confession of our sin. And then what does that do for us? Is It allows us to be in a place where God can cover us, drench us, immerse us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the work that God planned for Jesus and which he prepared through John the Baptist. It is the same work that God plans for you and I. And he's faithful to prepare us for the same. The question for us is: do we want to do we want to be immersed in that presence? Do we want the presence of God to permeate and fill every part of our lives. I love watching sometimes these little, uh, <laughs> I love the little Facebook videos where they're like compilations of things gone wrong, um, whether it's uh, people trying to you know, drive their Jeeps up a mountain and things don't work out or uh, parkour guys trying to jump over buildings and, and crashing on the side of the building, things like that. Uh, but some of my favorites are people falling in water when they're trying not to. Uh, it's hilarious to me, and we all get it. Uh, in fact, we were just out at the camp yesterday, visiting with Tyler and Carrie, and we were out on the lake. And I was pointing around to all the different places on the lake where I've lost—this um, will tell you how old I am—pager's, and uh, cell phones, and knives, and fishing rods, because <laughs> uh, I've been going there since I was like this big. And then I was telling some other stories about how uh, my oldest brother Chaz, when he was here living in Alaska with us for a while, he and I went out there fishing. And uh, he needed to get off the boat to do some business. And, you know, you don't want to row. We're at the far end of the lake. You don't want to row all the way back over to the dock and walk all the way up to the bathhouse so that you can go to the bathroom, right? So he's like, just pull up over, you know, we're in a canoe. Just paddle up over here to the side, and I'll, I'll step off onto these trees, and I'll do my business and come back. I'm like, okay. So he does. He gets off the boat, and then he comes back to the boat, and he steps on the boat, and things go a little haywire. And I just watch it unfold. You know, there's one foot on the boat. And there's one foot on the shore. And pretty soon, you know, and I, he's, I'm like, I'm paddling. I'm trying to paddle the front of the boat back in. And he's grabbing onto trees, trying to pull it back over. But eventually it, it just overcomes him. and Here it goes in the water. Nothing was dry when he got out of the water. Right? There's, you can't fall in the water and not get everything wet. Um, (laughs) This might disprove that, but it's a fun story, so I'll tell it anyway, and we got just a couple of minutes. Um, I did, well, I I know I still was not successful. I was down fishing at the Russian River one time, and uh, I was on the other side from where the parking lots were, so I'd crossed over, and my friends were on the other side. They didn't have waiters, so I was over there by myself. It was my favorite little spot that I used to love to fish, and you can't get there anymore. It's not—it's uh, sad, and I don't ever go down there anyway because there's a billion people, but um, I'm fishing. And one of my buddies you know, whistles at me, hey! and he points behind me, and I knew exactly what he meant because that was the, that's the international sign for bear. Psst, <laughs> Psst. So I turn around, and I see... Back in the brush, I, I can't see the big bear, but I see two small grizzly bears f- up the tree like this, which means mama has said, danger, go to high ground. And they've gone up the tree. And then I just see the bushes doing this, coming at me. And then I start, I start to hear the chomping, tong, 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 And I'm like, I don't know why she's mad at me. I have not done anything, and I can't even see her. And I've got a stringer full of fish. I've got a camera. Strapped to me right here, Nikon X700. It was my favorite camera when I was growing up. And uh, I got a 357 pistol and my fishing rod. And uh, I got nowhere to go. And the water in front of me is deep. And it's slow because this is why I like to fish this place. The water came down and it hit a big curve like this. And it pooled right here. And I could just stand there and I could practically just pick out the fish I wanted. It was just awesome. But I'm like, I got no choice. I got to go, go straight across. I'm, I'm going to get wet. And so, I go in and I'm stip, tripping and stumbling, you know, and go, I go completely underwater and I'm just pushing my way across. And it's not very wide there, maybe f- from, from here to Mike a little bit further. And so I get across there, you know, I've drifted down a little bit and my, my hand comes out and somebody reached down, buddy grabs down, pulls me up and they pull me up and sit me on it and they're just laughing their brains out. As friends do when you nearly get killed by a bear or drown. And I look over and she's standing where I was and she's sniffing all the spots where I was standing and, and she's pawing at the ground and she's looking at me and kind of bluffing like she's going to come across the water, you know. And I'm like, like, why is that funny? Which, of course, I mean, if I were them, I'd have been laughing too. It's, it's drama. But they said, uh, they said it was awesome. Uh, the look on your face was great. Uh, the wave you made when you hit that water was kind of spectacular. And uh, then when you got halfway across, your hand came up out of the water (laughs) with the fish. Not the camera, not the gun, the fish that are already wet. And then they didn't want to go home (laughs) because they weren't wet. But the point of the matter is, if you get in the water, you're going to get wet. Everywhere. It seeks out everything, right? Water takes uh, any path it can take. And so what does God want for us? He desires that we understand our need for forgiveness. He's provided a way for us to find that forgiveness by confessing to him that we understand that we need it. And then what he wants to do for us to get plunged into the presence of God so that his presence touches every single place in our lives. So all it does now at this point is it leaves you and I with the question and only you and I can wrestle with it. I can't wrestle with it for you. You have to wrestle it with yourself is, am I in the presence of God? Is his way and his work and his will touching every area of my life? Because I could have stayed on the shore to not get wet. And things would have turned out a lot differently. And I think sometimes we, I don't know, we miscalculate. We decide to stay on the shore. We get right up to confessing before God and maybe there's things we hold back or things we persist in, and it's kind of like standing on the edge and not really getting into the presence of God. So I ask the worship team to come, and uh, we're to sing one last song together this morning, and just ask you to contemplate that those three things that God's prepared a way for you, just like He has for everyone else for forgiveness through confession so that you would receive the presence of God fully in your life. And the question for you and I is, have we done that? Are we doing that? And if not, would you like to change that this morning? And if the answer to that is yes, when the service is over, I want you to come and talk with me this morning, all right? We'll just have a one-on-one conversation about what that means, what that looks like. But uh, join us for uh, this final song, if you would.